Speaking of food, um, if you don't know me that well, um, those who do know that I, I love food. I love virtually all types of food. I love exploring different types of food. Um, but as much as I love all types of food, there is one in particular that I love, and it's in the category of desserts. If you've got a sweet tooth out there, then you're going to be feeling me on this one. Um, I, sometimes I feel like the only reason you have dinner is so that you can get to dessert. Uh, sometimes you like to have dessert before dinner. Um, you know, it's, it's that good. And, it, and I enjoy all kinds of desserts, pretty much all desserts. But there is one that rises above all the rest. And that is the all-American brownie. The brownie, there's just something about a brownie. It is like, it's like a little slice of heaven in your mouth. You know what I'm saying? I don't know who came up with the brownie, but it is the most magnificent of all the desserts. In fact, it's so good that a number of years ago, I just decided, you know, why do you have to have a birthday cake on your birthday anyway? I mean, what's up with that? What's, where's the tradition there? So instead now, I just have a brownie. I just pan a brownie, some ice cream, brownie sundae. That's, that is my dessert. So my, my birthday is actually getting ready to come up, and that's what I'm going to have because I love brownies. Well, last weekend, my mom was in town, and, um, and to celebrate, we, we had, uh, my, my oldest daughter actually made a, a big pan of brownies, and we feasted on those one night for dessert after dinner. And, um, and then, you know, it was a little over half of the pan, this 13 by 9 inch pan, was still left. And I don't know how you handle it in your house when, when you have some leftover brownies, but we don't actually like take the brownies out of the pan and put them in a Tupperware container or anything like that, because then you got to wash the pan, and that's just really annoying, you know? It's just, it's just less work if you just leave the pan, you get a little piece of foil or saran wrap, you cover the pan, and the, the pan is big, so the problem is then it doesn't really have anywhere to go, so you, it ends up sitting on the countertop. Now, you have to remember, I have a major weakness for brownies. So, so my mom leaves, um, the kids go back to school, my wife was working, and it's like a Tuesday the, earlier this week, I'm working on uh, putting this message together, and so I'm working in a nice, uh, empty house. And it was the craziest thing, because I'm sitting there working on this message and studying, and, um, and all, there's, there's, all of a sudden, there's this voice and it's coming from the brownies, you guys. I don't know if you've ever experienced anything like this, where like voices come out of certain food groups that maybe you have a particular weakness, but all of a sudden it's like this voice is going, Derek, Derek, you forgot about me. And so I, I found myself, um, you know, I found myself just kind of having trouble focusing on what I need to focus on because I was, I was thinking about the brownies. And every time I went to get a glass of water, have a bowl of cereal, you know, break for lunch or whatever. Every time I found that I was in the kitchen and I saw the pan of brownies on the countertop, I had to go over and it was kind of like my duty. I had to check on the brownies to make sure they were okay. It's just one of these things. I just, I just felt compelled to do it. You know, they're sitting out in the open air. I don't know what might have happened to them, you know. So I'd, I'd open them up. I don't know if you've ever done this, but, but then I, I'm not going to have like a whole brownie first thing in the morning. But if you just take the knife and you just kind of go down the edge, you know, you just kind of get a little sliver, 
that's not a, that's not a whole piece. You know, that doesn't really count. And so you just kind of take a little sliver, make sure it's still good. Yeah, it's still good. And so I found that um, now I move around a lot more than I think I do throughout the course of a day. And probably like a dozen times uh, earlier this week, I visited that pan of brownies, each time checking to make sure those brownies were okay until there was virtually nothing left in the pan. And I'm sitting there with a, a sick feeling in my stomach, you know, where you got way too much sugar in there. And I'm sitting there going, I have got to stop. You know, cover it back over, go back in. I'm reading, I've got to stop. I'm, I am not going to focus on the brownies. Just, I'm, I'm not going to focus on those brownies. Of course, that's like the, the worst thing you can ever say, right? Like the second that you're saying, don't focus on the brownies, don't focus on the brownies, what's happening? <laughs> you're consumed by the brownies. It's, it's kind of like this. Um, I want you guys to close your eyes just for a minute. Okay, just play along, play along. Everybody close your eyes, okay? And I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to imagine with me anything besides a pink elephant. Okay, everybody close your eyes. If you're opening your eyes, you're going to ruin it. It's not going to be fun. All right, close your eyes. Now, don't think of a pink elephant. Don't think of anything big and pink, nothing elephant-like. Okay? Other, some other image in your eye, but no pink elephant, whatever you do. Okay, now, of course, what is, what is on your mind? right now. You can open your eyes, okay? What do you see? Yeah, it's a pink elephant. Because the one thing that we don't want to be focused on, if all we're thinking is, don't focus on it, don't focus on it, don't focus on it, then guess what? That's exactly what our focus is on. And so what, what I found was I needed to have a different focus. When I focused too much on the brownies, when they were in my line of sight, it was a major problem for me. Well, today, we are going to focus on something that we talk very little about here at Grace. And uh, the reason that we don't talk about it very much, this topic we're going to talk about today, is because when we focus on this thing too much, it can be a major problem for us. It can create all sorts of issues and um, the other reason why we don't focus on it too much, quite frankly, is because the Bible doesn't focus on this topic very much at all. And Jesus didn't focus a whole lot on this topic either. So nevertheless, we're going to talk about this thing. And um, we'll just, we're going to jump right in and uh, you'll, you'll pick it up pretty quickly. We are in the final week of this series called, Oh, the Places You'll Go. And uh, we've been using as our roadmap for our journey, Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And this was a letter written 2,000 years ago to a group of Christians in modern-day Turkey. It's been preserved in the New Testament of the Bible. And um, we're in his concluding chapter, chapter 6. He's really tying a bow on, on this letter of instructions to the church. And uh, in this part, it's like kind of his rallying cry, his pep talk, get him pumped up. It's the conclusion part of the letter. And so we pick it up in chapter 6, verse 10. Paul writes, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against... Now, here we go. Here we go. This is what we're focusing on that we don't normally focus on. To take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. So Paul turns his sights, this last part of his letter, to focusing on instructions for how we combat evil 
the devil and these forces of darkness. Now, I want to talk for a couple of minutes about why it is a problem for us if we spend too much time focused on the devil and forces of evil, okay? The first reason why it can be a problem for us is this. It can remove our sense of personal responsibility. It's pretty nice because all of a sudden you have this wonderful scapegoat and anything that you do wrong, instead of having to apologize or take any sort of blame or worry about kind of correcting your own behavior, you simply say, the devil made me do it. That's really all you need to say. It's kind of like uh, that, that old uh, pastor. He's this poor pastor, and he, he, his wife, they didn't have hardly any money, and, and his wife kept having this bad habit where she would go to the grocery store, and then on her way home, she would always swing by this expensive department store and pick up a new dress. And the first couple times, you know, okay, uh, I guess you needed that new dress. But then after this kept happening, he's like, you can't keep doing this. I mean, we, we can't afford this. We're, we, this is crazy. And she said, well, you know what? It's not my fault. The devil made me do it. And so he was kind of a little stumped on how to handle that, and they prayed about it. And finally, it's kept happening. And so he said, you know what? Here's what we're going to do. The next time that you hear the devil tell you to do something like that, you simply say what Jesus said one time, get behind me, Satan. Okay? And you just, you say that back and you just keep on trucking home. Don't make any stops anywhere. Okay? No, no more dresses. You just claim it. And so, um, she was excited. He was excited. They thought they got this problem solved. Well, next week she comes back from the grocery store and she has this beautiful, very expensive dress from the store once again. And he said, what happened? I mean, did you forget to say? She says, no, no, no. I mean, I said it. I said it. I said, get behind me, Satan. And he's like, okay, yeah. And she's like, but then he said, man, it even looks better from the backside. You got to get that dress. Okay. So so this, this is a problem. If all of a sudden we're so focused on the devil that any, anything that we do wrong or, you know, whatever, it's like, oh, devil made me do it. Just, that was devil's fault. Not my fault. Not my problem. Okay? That's a problem. Uh, the second reason why it's a problem if we focus too much on the devil is it can actually prevent us from loving, forgiving, and reconciling with the difficult people in our lives. And this is something that Jesus taught a ton about. This is one of the most important characteristics of a follower of Christ is our actually ability to love people who don't necessarily um, act in the right ways toward us. Now, here's the thing, okay? If you're all focused on the devil and forces of evil and all this stuff, anybody difficult, anybody coming along, guess what? They're not, oh man, you know, that person must be hurting. That person must be broken. Gosh, they're in their insecurity. You know, they're lashing out and gosh, I, we should really pray for them. And gosh, you know, whatever issues that they've got going on. Instead, what do we say? <laughs> man, that's the devil in them. I mean, that, that person is pure evil. Now, some of you are going, yeah, but you haven't met my in-laws. Okay. <laughs> and I haven't, and you may be right. All right. But when we do that, what happens to our desire to want to love and forgive and reconcile with those people? <laughs> we don't have to, right? That's the devil. That's pure evil. They need to be destroyed. And it almost justifies our hate instead of fueling our love. Big problem if we're focused too much on the devil and evil. And the final reason is actually, this is the biggest one, I think, is that if we spend so much time focused on the devil, we can actually become so 
consumed by the devil's ways and schemes and how do we, how do we you know, deal with that? And, and we become, it's almost like we spend more time following the devil than we do following Jesus. And, and I've seen throughout my years, people get really caught up in that. We are supposed to have our eyes fixed upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, and we're not supposed to be focused on the devil. Now, all that said, on the other side of that coin, if we are here and we call ourselves followers of Jesus, okay? And maybe you're here and you're, 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 you wouldn't say that that's you, but you're just kind of checking out Christianity and church and all that. We're so glad that you're here, okay? This is a, a great place for you to kind of be doing that, that spiritual searching. Um, and and you're, you're a little bit off the hook on this one, okay? But if you're here today and you have put your faith in Jesus, which means that you believe Jesus wasn't some teacher or some prophet alone, but Jesus was actually the son of God who came to this earth to reconcile us to our heavenly father. And if you believe that and you've submitted your life to Jesus, like you've given Jesus authority over your life, then you have to take Jesus' words seriously, Okay, so we need to at least look at what Jesus says with an open heart and an open mind. If you're here going, man, I don't, that whole devil thing, like, I'm just, I'm just not there. I don't believe that. Or if you're here and you're like, shoot, I don't even, I don't even have the whole God thing down. Like, how, how can I, I don't even know about this evil devil thing, whatever. But let's check out what Jesus has to say on the subject. Again, he didn't talk a lot about it, but he talked about it enough for us to not be able to explain it away. And it's actually mentioned in all four gospel accounts of Jesus' life. The gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all document Jesus um, talking about the devil, teaching about the devil. And um, so I'm going to give you three passages that Jesus says. There are several more. But um, in John's gospel, John was one of the disciples of Jesus. Uh, John's account in chapter 8, verses 44 and 45, uh, he quotes Jesus as saying, The devil was a murderer from the beginning. He is a liar and the father of lies. Then the Dr. Luke, who also wrote an account of Jesus' life in chapter 13, verse 16. Jesus is in an argument. He has just healed a woman on the Sabbath, and the religious leaders are furious. And there's this argument, and Jesus is making his argument, and he says, So should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day? from what bound her. And then finally, we have Matthew, the tax collector, who came to follow Jesus and wrote about it. Matthew chapter 6, verse 13. This is actually the tail end of the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. We refer to it today as the Lord's Prayer. Many of you grew up having to recite this. Begins, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Right? It ends this way in Matthew 6, 13. And lead us not into temptation, Jesus says. Our prayer should be, but deliver us from the evil one. So here we have Jesus referring to the devil, to Satan, to the evil one. And again, we can't get too caught up in this. We can't get too focused on this like I was focused on my brownies, okay? But at the same time, to just pretend like all this like evil and all this stuff just doesn't exist. Let's just, let's just get it out of our minds, okay? Because we just don't really know how to handle it. That's not good either. Because what Paul is reminding us here in this section of his letter is there is a battle going on between good and evil. Now, here's the cool thing, all right? 
we get some clear instructions forward in what do we do when we face this evil, okay? Now, maybe you're like, okay, I'm just not even there. Okay, look at it this way. When you're facing a trial of some sort, when there's something that you're just struggling with, you know, whatever that thing is that is challenging you greatly, that is testing you, okay? When, when you're facing that, be that evil or you know, whatever you want to call that thing, Paul says, here's some instructions. Here's some practical instructions for us. So let's look at verses 13 through 17 in that letter, chapter 6. Paul says, therefore, put on the full armor of God. Now, you have to remember that Paul is writing this letter from prison in Rome. He's awaiting trial for his faith because it's a threat to Caesar, who is ultimate Lord and the deity. And he's saying, no, 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 Jesus is Lord. So he's in a whole mess of problems along with all the other Christians. And he's, he's waiting trial. And he's definitely being guarded by a Roman soldier. There's no doubt about that. But there's actually a good likelihood that he was chained to a Roman soldier. So think about this. He's chained to a soldier who represents the empire, the most powerful um, army. And he's sitting there looking at this armor. And I think he's inspired. He's inspired by God to write these words. He says, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, I want to talk in detail about two of these pieces of armor in particular, the sword and the shield, okay? So the first one I want to talk about is the shield of faith. So back in those times, Roman shields, these things were massive. They were four and a half feet tall, two and a half feet wide. And you have to remember that the average man who'd be holding this was much shorter than we are today. And so this shield would practically cover the man's body, especially as, as the soldier would, would kind of bend down and crouch down. This would be the first line of defense. And this would be great protection from those arrows that would be shot across from, Emily, from enemy lines. So we are told that when we're facing this day of evil, when we're in the midst of our trials, when we're in the midst of our struggles, whatever those arrows are that are being shot our way, right? Whether that's arrows of doubt or discouragement or fear or temptation or you fill in the blank, arrows of lies that you believe that just aren't true, we are to take hold of our, of our shield of faith. That is our first line of defense, and it's our faith in Jesus Christ, in what he has done on our behalf, and it's faith that through trusting in him, that he's going to see us through whatever it is that is coming against us. Now, very important thing that everyone would have known 2,000 years ago as they were reading about this armor of God is that these shields were not meant to be used alone. They were not. That's not the way they were intended uh, at all. 
And in fact, um, I have a, a picture from a, an, a reenactment of a battle in a, it was from a Roman film festival a couple of years ago. And you can see the way these shields were deployed, the way they were strategically used. In fact, in some battles, the line of shields would be a mile long, one next to another, next to another, because you can see that then what you've got going on here. You've got a much, much better fortified position. So here's the thing. Everyone would have picked up on this. In fact, this armor, it couldn't be put on just by yourself. This, this is a team activity. This must be done with other people. And here's the reality. We are much, much stronger in this journey called life and all the places that God wants to take us if we are doing life together. So I just want to make a shameless plug for what's happening after service today with all those tables you've seen outside or if you're listening online, what's happening online, you can go out to our website at trygrace.org and sign up there. But we are doing group signups for our fall semester. And I gotta tell you, if you wanna supercharge your faith, if you wanna go further, if, if you're looking for strength in the journey and you are going it alone, you've gotta band together with some other people. It is so incredibly important. And guys, I just, sometimes we need a little extra challenge, okay? So men, just, if you could tune in with me for a second. I know that we all want to feel like we're tough, we can do it all ourselves, and we don't need anybody, and that's kind of not manly to, you know, need anybody. But this is about locking arms together and marching up mountains and and taking on challenges and going places in our faith that we simply cannot go by ourselves. And guys, I just want to ask you, Do you have people in your life that you can really talk to about the stuff that really matters? I mean, I know it's football kickoff today, and that's awesome, okay? There's actually stuff that matters even more than that, if you believe me, okay? So do you have people like that? Because let me tell you, the signups that are happening today, those are just real easy, intentional ways that we can have these conversations about the things that ultimately matter the most. And I just want to encourage you, if you're not doing that, sign up for one today. Every day you should do something that scares you. Maybe this scares you. This is the perfect opportunity to, you know, step out in your manhood and do something that's a little bit more challenging that you wouldn't normally do. So that's my, that's my call out. Um, I, I really hope that everybody here would consider uh, banding together and uh, not doing this, this journey alone. All right. I want to talk about the, um, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. This is my favorite piece of the six pieces of armor here in the armor of God for the sole reason that it's the one piece of armor we can fight back. All the rest of the pieces of armor are defensive in nature. This one is actually something that we can fight back, all right? And those times when we're struggling and we're just feeling defeated, we can fight back with the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. We actually see in, um, in the gospel narratives, we see that Jesus in the gospel of Matthew and in the gospel of Luke, it says that Jesus was out in the wilderness and he was tempted by the devil, and the way that Jesus fought back was every time that there was this temptation and these lies that the devil was speaking to Jesus, Jesus responded back with the truth of God's word to refute those lies. That was Jesus wielding the sword of the spirit. So um, 
I know for me, this kind of takes some practical shape in, in my own life. And how I've wielded my sword of the spirit, so to speak, is actually through an ongoing struggle that, that I have had um, as, you know, as I've been part of this church. And that struggle has actually been the times where I have lost sight of the grace of God. Now, what does that mean? Well, losing sight of the grace of God is losing sight of the fact that it ultimately, you know, my good standing with God, it's not based on my performance at all. It's nothing to do with my performance. It has only to do with the performance of Jesus Christ and what he did on my behalf. And so when I recognize that and I put faith in Jesus and not in my own self, because I mess up and I'm far from perfect, um, that is how I'm actually in right standing with God. When I lose sight of that, and when I get caught up in thinking it's about my performance and what I do, okay, and how religious I am being, that can create all sorts of problems for me. So what happens is I'll be going at a good clip and I'll be being all religious and making sure I'm reading my Bible as much as I think I should and praying and, and doing all those things that a good uh, religious person should do. And, um, but then I'll hit, a, I'll hit another season where motivation drops a little bit and I lose focus and I get caught up in other things. And all of a sudden, I, I know I should be praying more. Oh my goodness, I know I should be reading my Bible more. I, I know I should be being more religious than I am. And if you've ever felt guilty about this, try, imagine being a pastor, okay? It's worse, trust me. It's just, it's a lot worse. So all of a sudden, I will have all this sense of shame and guilt. And I mean, it's, it's heavy. And I feel like, God must be so incredibly disappointed with me. I mean, God must be so frustrated with me. I, I haven't been very religious or not as religious as I should be the last few days. I, I just, I can only imagine what God is thinking. And that's, that's really, really, it weighs so heavily on me. And in those moments when I start to have all these doubts and some lies about God start to creep into my head, the way that I wield my sword is by anchoring back to the truth of the word of God. And there's a verse for me that I absolutely cling to like it is oxygen. And that is from the New Testament uh, book of Romans, chapter eight, verse one, which says, therefore now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This verse is awesome because basically when I'm feeling like I'm self-condemning, um, there, there is no condemnation. So if I put my faith in Jesus, it's not just the stuff that I did a long time ago in my past that Jesus covers over, but it's actually my present and even what's going to happen in the future. Like I am totally secure, not in myself, but in Jesus. That's, that's the promise, that's the truth of the gospel. And so that is, that is so life-giving to me, you guys. That is how I fight back in those moments of doubt, in those moments of defeat, uh, when, when it's just, I just feel so incredibly down about that. So here's a question I want to ask you. I shared my struggle. What's yours? What is it for you that you struggle with? What is it for you that bums you out? What is it for you that trips you up? What is it for you that you just wish didn't have a grip on you? What is that thing that you spend nights obsessing about? What is that thing you just wish you could kick it, but you can't? What 
is your struggle. Because I'm here to tell you that for every struggle we have, there is a Bible verse that we can grab onto, we can take up our sword, and we can fight back with the truth of God's word. Now, I hope in your mind that you're actually thinking about that struggle right now, that, that thing for you. It's like that thorn in your side, that thing, okay? Whatever that struggle is, I discovered an, an incredible resource. It's totally free, okay? And, and you can actually uh, access it online. And it's a way that whatever your struggle is, you can go to this resource and you can actually type in your struggle and it will kick back the Bible verse that you need to fight back against this struggle, okay? So if you have a pen and paper here, I want you to take this out. I want you to take note. If you have a cell phone, you have like a note section or something, I want you to take it out because I'm gonna tell you what this resource is. I'm telling you, whatever your struggle, this, you can type this in and it will kick back to you the Bible verse that you need. Are you ready? Okay, get ready to write this down. Google, okay? (laughs) I'm serious. Okay, here's what you do. Here's what you do. You type in, into Google, you type in Bible verses about, and then you type in your struggle. Okay? Bible verses about blank. Okay? When you do that, and you might have to click a couple times in the search result, but I'm telling you, it's, it's unbelievable. Okay? You will find tons of verses. What I want you to do is I want you to try that this week, today, okay? Type that in. In fact, if you want to go on your phone right now, I will not judge you. In fact, I would encourage it. If, you're, if you want to do that right now, you can. You type that into your phone or your computer, and you'll, you'll start to see some results. You'll start to see Bible verses, and here's what I want you to do. Simply pray, God, show me the verse. Just, there's so many. Show me the verse. And I guarantee you, God will make one jump out at you. There will be one that jumps out, it speaks to you, and here's what you do. You simply memorize it. Write it down, commit it to memory, put it on your bathroom mirror, whatever. Memorize that verse, because in your times of struggle, in your times of doubt, okay, when, when the flaming arrows of all these things are coming at you, this is how you fight back with the truth of God's word. Now, um, in just a minute, we are going to um, close this service with, um, with communion. But before we do that, I just I want to make sure everybody sees the, the common thread in all of this armor of God, because it's, it's really important. So um, I'm going to just walk through quickly the six pieces of armor, and let's see if you can pick up on the common thread. So Paul says, stand firm then with the belt of truth, buckled around your waist. That is the truth of who we are in Jesus Christ. Then we're supposed to put on the breastplate of righteousness. It's not righteousness by what we've done. It's, by, it's righteousness through Jesus Christ. We're supposed to take up our feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. We can stand firm with, a, with our shoes fitted confidently knowing that we stand at peace with God through Jesus Christ. 
Then we're supposed to take the shield of faith. That is faith that Christ is going to see us through this. The helmet of salvation, salvation that comes through Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. And finally, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Jesus Christ is called the word of God that was made flesh and appeared to us. The scriptures all point to this Messiah. So the word points to Jesus Christ. Did you pick up on the theme? Okay, we are called to put on the armor of God and what we are actually doing is we are putting on Jesus Christ. He is to be our focus. He is our strength. He said to his disciples uh, last week of his life, in Gospel of John chapter 16, verse 33, he says to them, listen guys, he says, in this world you will have trouble. We all know that to be true. He says, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Now, do you realize how meaningless those words would have been to those disciples at that point when he said that? <laughs> oh my goodness, this is crazy. So they're in Jerusalem. Jerusalem's been so crazy and so amped up trying to kill Jesus that they've been on the outskirts of Jerusalem for quite a while. And Jesus says, time to go in right into where all hell is breaking loose. And I, I got to go and suffer and die. I got to do this thing. This is God's plan. So they're in the hotbed of everything, all right? And, and he's like, it's cool. Take heart. I've overcome the world. They're like, what? What have you overcome? Like, everybody's gunning for us, man. Like, this is crazy. And, and, and then think, fast forward a few days, and then he, you know, now he's hanging on a cross. He's been beaten, and he's hanging on a cross, totally humiliated. But take heart. I've overcome the world. What? You're hanging on a cross, Jesus. Fast forward another couple of days. He's dead. Movement is over. That's what happens when the leader dies, you know. The movement's done. Take heart. I've overcome the world. What? This, this would not have made any sense to the disciples. But then just imagine with me. A few days after that, these disciples are so terrified that what happened to Jesus is going to happen to them. They're huddled in a little room trying to figure out what the heck are we going to do now? And the next thing you know, they're really terrified because Jesus just appeared in the room and he's not a ghost. It is actual body. He's there. He's alive. He's showing off, you know, the, the scars. You've ever shown off a scar? Okay, Jesus can one-up you on that one, all right? So he's showing off his scars to the disciples. He's eating with them. He's like, look, I have physically risen from the dead. I have overcome. You can take heart. I have overcome the world. Now, imagine how mind-blowing that would have been if you were one of those disciples right then. You know how mind-blowing it was? These guys went from freaking out, wouldn't even admit they knew Jesus to a little schoolgirl, okay? To all of a sudden, they're out there in front of anybody who would listen. The highest religious authorities, the highest Roman authorities, people with the power to have them executed on the spot. And they said, sorry, sorry. Guess what? He's overcome. Take heart. He has overcome this world. He has overcome death. I don't care. You're saying Caesar's Lord. No, Jesus is Lord. I've seen him and I can't shut up about it. They were so empowered because of what they had seen and heard. Now, these are the words. I know it's hard for us. We're 2,000 years later, but these words still ring true. 
okay? We are putting on the armor of the one who has overcome sin and evil and death. He has defeated everything that we could possibly be concerned about in this life. And he tells us, when we put faith in him, this, this really blow your mind, okay, if you're not a church person. Jesus tells us, if you put your faith in him, he will send his spirit to reside in you and enable you to do things you cannot do on your own. That's crazy. I don't get how that works, but I just, in faith, I just believe it. We are called to put on Jesus' armor and to take on his spirit and to walk in victory. You are here today, and many of us in this room are struggling with something. And I just want to tell you, if you're sick and tired of struggling with it, if you're sick and tired of being beaten up by it, if you're sick and tired of just defeat after defeat after defeat, we are called to put on someone whose strength far exceeds ours, whose power far exceeds ours, and walk confidently and boldly in the victory of Jesus Christ. Not, we can't do it without him. We can't do it without that armor. But by putting that on, we can do way more than we could ever imagine we could do through his strength. We have to call on him, and he must be our focus. We got to lean in to Jesus and keep his armor on. So I'm going to ask our music team if they'd come up and our communion team, if you would go ahead and uh, prepare communion for us. We're going to have different stations in the auditorium. I just want to let everybody know here that communion is open to everybody at Grace. So feel free if you'd like to take it, you can. If you would rather not, you don't have to. Um, I want to just explain communion for a second. So what we do when we take communion is we take this wafer of bread and we take a cup of juice. And the bread symbolizes Jesus' body that was broken for us. And the, the cup of juice symbolizes um, Jesus' blood that was shed for us. And um, so communion, and maybe you've taken communion before, and it's kind of a very somber time, remembering Jesus' death, remember his suffering, um, remembering all that. And that is all absolutely what we remember when we take communion. But we must not lose sight of one thing. Communion is a celebration. And the reason it's a celebration is because many, 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 many people have died since the history of the world began. But there's only one who's risen from the dead and has overcome it, and that is Jesus Christ. So we not only remember his suffering, but we actually celebrate the empty tomb. We celebrate the resurrection. We celebrate that we can take heart because he has overcome the world and through him, through his spirit, through his power, we can too. So I'm gonna pray for us and then um, you can feel free to take communion. If you wanna join our, our prayer team, we'll be right over here on this wall. I'm gonna join our prayer team as well. If you wanna pray because you believe that your in-laws are possessed by the devil, okay, and you want to cast that, that devil out or whatever else you'd like prayer for, we would love to pray with you about that or anything else. So uh, let's pray, and then we'll take communion, and then um, we'll be good. Lord God, um, we want to say thank you for, um, for difficult passages of the Bible that actually challenge us, uh, may make a number of us uh, very uncomfortable as we try to wrestle with what this stuff means. Uh, Lord, we certainly don't want to be too focused on the devil or evil or th these types of things, God, because it's so problematic. 
um, Lord, but at the same time, um, we all inherently know that there is evil in this world. And uh, we certainly want to be armed. God, we certainly want your strength. God, you tell us to take heart because you have overcome it all. And Lord, we desperately want your armor on us. We need your spirit alive in us. Many of us in this room, we have struggles. We have things that are coming against us. We have trials. We have things that constantly are defeating us and messing with us. God, we can't do it alone. We need you. We need your spirit that has overcome. And we need one another. So, Lord, just be with us in this time as we remember not just your sacrifice, but your incredible victory over death and over evil. We take hold of that. We focus on you, and we walk boldly and victoriously in your truth of who you are and what that means for us. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Grace Community Church, a church for people who don't go to church, meets on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. in Arlington, Virginia. Connect with us anytime at trygrace.org.